0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray bohacks the hot rod farmer. I should learn to swallow before I turn the microphone on, right? So I actually shut the microphone off. I've been doing that the past couple of, I guess, couple of episodes, and I shut the microphone off while the in, while the uh, intro music is playing, so I could clear my throat out, and then I uh, press the button, and then the microphone. Comes on and it records. So that is what's going on here. So once again, fumbling my way through a recording session. Thank God I am a much better technical writer, I humbly say, and uh, mechanic and calibrator or carburetor guy, whatever you want to call me, uh, than I am a recording artist. Because I'm not really an artist, I'm just a guy who happened to have a couple of dollars to buy a microphone. And that is basically it. But I want to thank you so much for tuning in with me today, clicking in. And uh, I'm going to be the subject of our show today. And I say ours because it's your show, and I mean that sincerely. Is data? What to do with data? Uh, we're we're just overrun with data today. And in agriculture they're overrun with data. In the auto industry or with vehicles or tractors, they're overrun with data. On the farm you're overrun run with data. With dairy cows you're overrun with data. And, you know, it's the I call it drag racer syndrome because if you're a drag racer, most guys who drag race is a old saying, Well, if a little is good, a lot's gotta be better, right? And I think that we can apply that to most things in life. And uh, so I think we got a little bit of drag racer syndrome going on with data right now within the agricultural industry. So that is what I'm going to be discussing. And as always, I'll give you a long segue into it with my first introduction to data. And then we'll bring that hopefully succinctly and uh, with some level of the critical path and I've said this before on the show in engineering the critical path is once you decide to build something and you authorize authorize a a project is authorized not that you would be authorizing it the big bosses would be authorizing it and you say okay fine we're gonna you know or let's say an an agrarian uh, example would be all right we're gonna grow soybeans this year so once you make that decision and the critical path would be to the point that you get the soybeans planted in the ground. And in engineering, in automotive engineering, it would be that you have a finished product that's rolling off the assembly line and ready to go to the car dealers and to be sold or or a tractor or what have you. So we're going to try to get on that critical path today. And uh, the operative word in that sentence is try. All right, I haven't. And I have a few things that I want to uh, just touch base with you on. okay first of all i want i truly want to invite all of you and i i do this maybe not as openly as i should but if you are a listener to this podcast which obviously you are if you're listening to it right even if today's your first time is that you will please also go on my website or a podcast hosting site if you go to google podcast i know that works very well but there's so many sites today or right to my website and i would i would ask you to also be a consumer and because you are a consumer you're a listener right you're consuming my um what, what i have to say you're consuming the audio and also connect with the farm machinery digest radio episodes from sirius and as i always say you don't need to be on sirius xm because i post those as a they're also posted as a podcast they're only running one week behind what's airing on rural radio channel 147 and then if you have the opportunity also listen to the two short shows and the short shows are bushels and cents and the hot rod for a minute and i'm going to be starting a new short show and i'm going to be calling it turning wrenches so i'm going to add that into the mix but it's it'll be listed as a podcast but my goal is to get that out into uh to, onto terrestrial which means old-fashioned type of radio am fm radio so i'm going to be working on that and god willing i could get that out onto terrestrial radio but the reason why i'm saying is that all these shows are educational and there's no overlap between them i mean i don't you know if you listen to a show uh it's not like oh ding oh so, so somebody in nebraska listens to the show and i get 10 cents or something like the people claim that they happens with youtube that does that's not the case with this it's um uh, my sincere intent is to bring education to you. And uh if you do that and you listen to them, then you are getting an education in some way, shape, or form. And if that is something that doesn't interest you today, that subject and may interest you tomorrow or next week. So for instance, what we'll be posting on uh very shortly is a getting to know episode on Farm Machinery Digest Radio, and that is getting to know the fent momentum planter and this thing is a sweet 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 planter and i get together with uh with arthur santos from down down in georgia when i was in georgia and he's the uh i hate to use the word marketing manager for that because 99 percent of the time you get these marketing managers and they're they're a bunch of salesmen and um, and there's nothing wrong with being a salesman if anybody is listening because obviously that's an important part of the economy and of life and what have you. But I mean by a salesman is that all he's trying to do is ram something I mean all they're not author, all they're trying to do is ram something down your throat. and I've, and I've seen that with uh, <clears throat> that with Fent that that is not the case that the people that they title as a marketing manager. And I even said, you probably just change their title. Because people here marketing, but what do I know, right? So uh, people here marketing managers, the ears closed, right? You know, like a, a, a vacuum cleaner salesman knocking on the door, which my father-in-law was a vacuum cleaner salesman. He sold it. It was very successful because he was sincere and knowledgeable and uh, serviced, the, cust- serviced the, the, the customer and was very successful for many, many years as an Electrolux salesman. But anyway... But you may want to check that out. That that planter, even if you don't plant corn, that planter is so sweet. You you just got to listen to that. And and like I say, go back and forth, and you could listen to what you want. But they're half hour shows, so they're nowhere near as long as this. And then what I do is I also ask the people. I'm going to be asking the people who listen to XM to come the other way, and listen to Idle Chatter as an educational uh experience right so uh, so that i wanted to tell you about and invite you to and then also <clears throat> my on the road show and the last episode i did uh, was with the alstead family and i want to thank all of you that listened to it and many of you reached out and really enjoyed the episode and uh and that was really uh, i am greatly appreciative of that and then the next one which is, should be up by now is on the road to scott Shelody arrived in melody and he is the cow guy on tv on RFT tv uh, he's a finance guy very very interesting story a sincere story a really good guy he's, he's basically known the world over i mean it was actually a little bit int- intimidating uh when i first got him you know i reached out to him i said you want to be on my show and he got back to me right away said, yeah i want to be on your show and uh And so I came, got to know him a little bit. And uh, the real salt of the earth guy, Uh, very humble. Uh, You would never know he's so, so, uh, his notoriety or his fame throughout, literally throughout the world. Um, He's on the BBC, he's all all over the map. But anyway, uh, really great episode. If you want to check that out, he has a lot, had a lot of tragedy in his life, which you don't think of when you listen to him on the television or the radio and uh, so you don't see that side of him that's and I kind of sensed that I kind of I did sense when I would listen to him or see him on television that there was a, a brokenness a sincere brokenness in him and he was and I, we, I was blessed because on his own volition he brought brought that out and said on the podcast what uh you know what had happened in his life so uh sad story but there's very there's many sad stories out there but scott's a real good guy and the only the only issue that i have with that act that actual episode is that i did it over the cell phone well over his cell phone and it was not a good connection so i asked you to and we called back a couple of times he lives about 30 miles outside of nashville out in the country uh and i just think the area was not a good signal so uh, what i'm going to do next time if that happens i'm gonna just abort it but what's really funny about this and it's something for you to to uh has has nothing to do with with i mean it has to do with podcasting but you could apply this to most things in life is that it's very interesting because i've had i've done not many not many telephone uh shows episodes recorded over the telephone of course, I like to do in person belly to belly, but the, but I've also come to the realization that I can't be belly to belly every place, so I have to weigh whether I have to sacrifice the audio quality slightly to bring this information uh, to my audience, or or on the road and tell somebody's story, or just say no, oh, no, no, no. If you can't do, I can't. If I can't be there, I'm not going to do it. And uh, but. What had happened was that I really should have aborted that show and uh, and see if we could get a better connection someplace. But sometimes you can't get a better connection, and you know how that that those cell phones are. Sometimes they're they good and sometimes they're bad. But anyway, so I apologize for you that when you listen to it, it's not the best audio quality. But by no means is it horrific. All right, that it's bad. It's just it's. I mean, there's there's been better audio quality. But I ask you to please look beyond that. excuse me and listen to the show because it is a, a very interesting and a very poignant story so that basically is that, and let me say I got my list here, so I could try to be succinct. All righty. Now I want to welcome and I want to thank, and I think these two people listen to the radio show, so I'm going to announce them. Uh, everybody gets announced on their podcast, Idle Chatter, and on Farm Machinery Digest Radio. So I'm gonna, I'm going to um, thank Mr. Corey Burkhalter and from Kendall wisconsin for giving me a pin in my map and mr jim lloyd from middletown new york who gave me a pin in my map just as i was getting ready to record that came through and so these guys are now entered into the contest to win a hot rod formal license plate and one of the fent die models so thank you very much gentlemen and if you want to do that get in that contest just go to my website com, and there's an entry form to the right to uh enter the license plate contest it doesn't say anything about the fent die cast models and uh but you will get into there and you'll give me a pin in my map all right, so I'm getting these pins all over, and as I always say, the purpose of that is for me to be able to serve you better. So I know where my audience is, and we'll discuss that a little bit in a different context in a few minutes. And then I also <clears throat> want to thank uh, a very, a, a very loyal listener to the podcast and to idle chatter and and to uh farm machinery digest radio and i also believe that he listens to the short shows because he is over the past year or two has um has commented on that and that's Mr. Ju- Justin 4C and i believe i'm pronouncing it correct i remember Justin uh, when you we first connected a while back a year or two ago that you told me it's pronounced 4C and he is down lives down in south jersey and uh he is family i believe if i remember correctly was from virginia and i want to thank you so much for the kind words and i also want to thank you for your prayers so uh, that means the world to me and uh and Justin was actually one of the first people that reached out to me when my cat Donald disappeared, and as of yet, he is not home yet, and neither is Cream, but it's a walk of faith, and uh, I have to trust in the Lord. So, you know, if you live in this world, you you, you make your own explanations for things, but lots of times, in, well, I should say most times in life, if you walk as a Christian, you have to you have to base your emotions and your thoughts on what the Lord puts in your heart. So I want to thank you very much for that, Justin. And then I have a quick letter here I want to read from another longtime friend of the show, Mr. Mike Werner from Caledonia, Minnesota. And... Uh, he wrote a letter here, and it's of good value, and it's also going to uh, connect to Bruce, Bruce J. right? They're calling it this jockey up in uh, in New England because there was a little bit of a communication with Bruce last week. So, Mike writes, and I want to thank you so much for writing this, Mike. Uh, Hi, Ray. The On the Road with the Alsteed family was exceptional. Thank you very much. I, I started to explore their website And I'm going to share your episode with good friends whose son lives in New Jersey. I would love to hear another episode with them talking about their operation. Then, so that's that. Then he goes into start, stop, because I had a, uh, uh, I think it was the Ask Ray Letter show, and that prompted uh, a lot of uh, comment start stop has been a challenge since we got our 2019 ford f-150 but found the solution a couple of years ago if you plug in a plug in a test or another device so it thinks that there is a trailer Unfortunately, it makes the pickup think there's a trailer behind it, causing the transmission to shift differently, and then you get poor mileage. So, basically, what he's saying here, what Mike is saying, is what I was, I kind of um, alluded to with another listener, was that if you plug like a, a tester, uh, trailer light tester, into the back of the wiring harness, that the vehicle, in this particular instance, a Ford vehicle, thinks that there's a trailer there and it automatically negates the start stop. Now, what What Mike has been saying with his experience with his 2019 F-150 is that it causes the strategy, the algorithm to shift the transmission a little bit differently and then you get poorer gas mileage. So that was his practical real life experience with that so then he goes on to say there is a youtube video on a wire to unplug under the dash it's easy to do a friend showed me this and it works great and does not affect the performance of backup camera but you have to plug it back in if you're going to pull a trailer or your trailer lights will not work okay that's good to know so excellent thank you for that and if i had if i if i if i had sight or someone mechanically inclined i would put a toggle switch on the wire on the wire and um i'm sorry mike maybe i should not have shared that over the uh over the airwaves and i was reading this and uh, so but mike has mike a number of years back had gotten into an accident and uh I believe it was a farm accident. I'm not 100 percent sure, and he has uh, very, very his, it impacted his vision from all intents and purposes. And Mike, if I'm saying this wrong, please forgive me. And l- reach out to me, and I'll correct it, is that he's legally blind now, sadly, and his family has stepped up to help with the farm. So that's what he means. What he means by that, and it says new Fords now have a have the start, start, uh, start, start, stop, start as an option for one hundred fifty dollars. And I have no idea who in their right mind would pay money for this, as I would pay money to get rid of it. Your friend Mike, Werner, Caledonia, Minnesota. He's a thousand percent right. And another friend and longtime listener to the show, Gene Worst, just bought a new Ford Ranger out in Nevada, Nevada and 2023 ranger and he it off the lot and that's some and they ordered it without the start stop so he's very very happy so basically in essence the start stop saga continues on idle chatter so let me say we have that here and i went okay looks like i don't have uh, anything else that i need to uh talk about so thank you for allowing me to do the housekeeping and another longtime listener, Jason, out in Long Island, communicated with him the other day, and uh, he had ordered a Challenger, Dodge Challenger, and it is somewhere in limbo in la-la land. So uh, Jason is, is is quite disappointed, and rightfully so, uh, that he ordered a, a very nice Challenger uh, and uh, I think a 392 car, I a lot of options in it. And it was supposedly built on January twelfth. And Stellantis has no idea where it is. And uh that does not surprise me. I do not hold Stellantis in the highest of esteem. Uh not because of the guys in the factory or their engineers or what have you, but the management of that company uh has really uh well well, the management ever since it stopped being chrysler the management was mickey mouse and they run people through the door there uh with these big positions as if they were um, working in walmart they're there one day and they're gone gone the next and the way the company is run in my opinion so i'll say that uh <clears throat> so i'll say that in uh as as a uh as a caveat and interestingly enough both Ram trucks and Stellantis want nothing to do with me. Uh, not because I'm, and I'm not saying this because of that. Nothing to do with me, uh, and will not give me a press vehicle. Whereas the rest of the world will give me a press vehicle and actually comes to me in many instances and asks me to bring it to your audience, to to my audience, which is you. So by them rejecting me, Stellantis is act, Stellantis and Ram trucks. And it was the same way with when Ram was Fiat Chrysler, they uh, are rejecting you. And that's what I always got mad about. I said, you could reject me all you want, but don't reject my audience. So that is uh, very, very interesting. So it does not surprise me that Stellantis has no idea where this challenger is. So, but my friend Jason is paying the price for their incompetence and uh, but that is so often in life what happens right <clears throat> so i'm just going to get a drink of water here for a minute i'll put on a i'll put on the the dragster. <clears throat> all right i'm back thank you <clears throat> i'm going to have to clear my throat here okay i'm back you know so all right now, what we're going to talk about is data, and this is a data-driven world today. Everybody talks about data, 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 right? And this all came about probably 20 okay. or 30, maybe more than 20 years ago, 30 or 40 years ago with, with computers, and uh, then people became data analysts, and if anybody, anybody out there is a data analyst, then, then no disrespect, but it seems that this wor- the world is filled with data, and in so many ways, we know less of what's going on than we did years ago when there was a rotary dial telephone, and printed newspapers, and and what have you, and breaker points in the cars, and carburetors, and we we uh, and farming was done the old fashioned way. So now we got all this data, and I'm not saying that data is bad by no means. But as I started to say, is that we have, you know, very easily you could apply. Drag racer syndrome. So, for example, and this came across. When I say, okay, across my desk or across my PC monitor, right? Forget, forget about it. Bring, bring back the, uh, the the paper and pencil. As far as I'm concerned, but anyway, and I'm not saying this to brag. By no means, but I do have to add to it that I want to thank all of you very much. So, as you know, a quick lead into this is that this podcast, Idle Chatter, is on my website, and then all of these different podcast hosting sites pick them, pick it up. All right, lots of times I don't even know. I I, I don't control that whatsoever. Is that I have a, a host? I guess it's called a host that hosts my show. It's, I forgot what that it's called—Blueberry or something, or some kind of crazy name. And Susan Moore had. We've been with them since the beginning, and uh, and the thing is that, and. You, you can't make you can't make head or tail out of anything today with this data right with and uh and i'm saying i'm talking about about podcasting and media and everything because uh, so you don't know and nobody nobody they give you data but nobody seems to know what it really means so you ask me a question well, i don't know what that means <laughs> so anyway and i'm going to get into that because like, as, as, as as my new friend scott Shelly says it's a cheap segue so anyway this podcast or idle chatter and 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 et al all right so the short shows but i think just idle chatter is on apple podcasts all right which i think is i i don't even know who i don't get involved in that stuff so anyway so every day they send me these rankings all right so they have idle chatter listed there's no agricultural or machinery or automotive section it's listed it's cataloged in their podcast library this is apple supposedly that's where it comes from it says apple so uh so it's not bogus and it is listed under the how to qualification or how to section so when it's listed under how to that means it could be how to heal a broken heart how to make good brownies how to how to stop cancer or how to cut a piece of wood how to build a house so it is also it's basically it's aggregated into the how-to section and i had contacted them a couple of years ago i said Gee, you should really have at least a machinery section or something. whatever so who i don't care but anyway so now we're doing a little bit of research with them with apple is that they claim that there's 8090 podcasts listed in the, the in the in their how-to category okay so so so, so okay that's all right, that's great or right, whatever so 8090 podcasts are listed and so now they're giving me this data for idle chatter so I said, "All right, well, whatever. Give it to me. You want to give it to me? You want it to, it's free? You're not you're not charging me anything for. I don't know what the heck what to do with it. All right. So anyway, so I started to look at it in preparation for this show today, because it's all about data. So now I I will say to you honestly, out of eight thousand and ninety shows that are listed, I'm repeating eight thousand and ninety different shows. So idle chatter, Joe Schmo's uh, woodworking show, whatever it may be. All right." that I it's hard for me to believe what they're telling me, but I'll take it at face value, you take it at face value, and whatever it is, it is, right? So they say, out of all, let's say round it to 8,000 shows, that in 8,000 show over eight, at 8,000 shows, and you know, the interesting thing about podcasts is they go around the world. All right, so Idle Chatter is number 31 out of 8,000. All right, in the United States, it is number thirty-three in Australia. In po- so this is in popularity. So obviously, number one is the most popular show under the house God knows what that is. So um, this show is thirty-one in the USA. It's number thirty-three out of eight thousand in Australia. It's number six in Canada. Hey, Canada, thank you. All right, uh, it's number seven in France it's number 60 in germany it's number 35 in great britain it's number 69 in ireland it's number 104 in japan it's number 104 in new zealand it's, it's, all right it's number 29 in poland and it's number 131 in south africa and number 60 in uh, sweden so that's basically in essence what they're so it's three six nine nine uh twelve so they're giving you i guess the top twelve and then you have to go deeper into it whatever so that is very hard for me to believe out of eight thousand shows that under the how-to section right not political not romance how-to section that i'm number six in Canada. number all those numbers i read all right so the thing basically is is that they're giving me this data and they send me this data every day <laughs> the truth i only looked at it for the first time the other day because i i, I said i don't even know what the heck this means Right? i'm not gonna waste my time trying to figure it out everybody has their own metric their own measuring scale so on the same on the same note there's another thing called feed spot i think it is and they they at least categorize it in agriculture they don't give you a ranking i guess they kind of give you a ranking so but they look they aggregate the world all right so it's all but it's not broken down so aggregate means that you're homogenizing you're putting it together you're not identifying it whereas this data is not aggregate, saying okay in the united states um, idle chatter is number 31 but doesn't say i may be number 900 in nebraska and number one in new jersey who knows right so excuse me i'm gonna just clear my throat again it's getting bad hold on for a second please okay maybe they say the number 31 because i cleared my throat so much so anyway but now there's i think it's called feed spot and they do a ranking of the top 60 agricultural podcasts in the world now what they tell you is that they take their data and it's from downloads or listens everybody's got a different term and they also aggregate it and mix that all up and they and they use your social media presence which i have zero social media presence other than linkedin which is really i don't even think counts i'm not on tiktok youtube uh whatever they call the thing twitter facebook nothing all right no social media presence and they come up with a with a ranking and based upon that so they're saying that idle chatter is number three as far as agricultural podcasts are concerned, I forgot who the other two are, but they have a huge social media following. Uh, I forgot what the name of the shows are, and those guys are very big on YouTube, which I am not existent. So, based upon that, if you take that out of the equation, take the YouTube and the, and the social media and stand alone as a podcast i mean humbly i say idle chatter must be number one because i'm number three without all of that stuff all right so now we have this data what does it mean well that is why i'm using it as a segue is this data real how do i know all right nobody's trying to get money from me so i you know i guess it's kind of real but you know how accurate is the data who knows all right so so what basically happens is that why is um, why am i using that as a as a lead into this is because as i said 30 minutes ago uh that we're we're bombarded with data now we're bombarded with data on the farm okay we have satellite imaging we have infield this we have a, a grid soil sampling we're doing soil sampling the guys at a thousand acres he's doing soil sampling every acre he's got a thousand soil tests all right and then what, the, what does this all mean what do you do we have we have data recorders for, for engine management systems so you can record data what the engine is doing we have all of this data we have all and uh, you, you get your cell phone pulses data usage all right you don't know what's going, so we're, we're bombarded with all of this and what I'm going to try to do is give you some pointers today on what to do with that data obviously, i can't go through everything it's okay well if you're a wheat farmer use the data this way if you got a, a john deere combine use the data this way if you got a you know if you're a truck driver do this if you're a podcaster do this so what i'm going to do is give you a gen- my generic take my gen- uh, my take on how you should interpret data I'm not saying you throw it away but I'm also saying you don't live and die by it. And that's what is basically happening today, is that so many people are living and dying by a data point and they're totally ignoring everything else that is real because they they have this data point and they're latching onto it. And the data point, from my perspective, should be one tool in your toolbox to make decisions as far as machinery is concerned, your business is concerned, your life is concerned, what have you yes that is good we need it all right and uh but do we make our decisions solely on the data and uh as i basically said a few minutes back and i'm going to bring bring back my walk of faith because you know i wear my heart on my sleeve uh with this show and if anybody who knows me knows that is that the world would tell me that my my beloved cat donald is not coming home but something happened to him he went over but my heart as a Christian, my faith in the Lord tells me that that is not the case, and I'll leave it at that, alrighty? So I will leave it at that, and I will not divulge any more about that, because it is between my Lord and my Savior and me. And then one day, I will, when, when the conditions are right, I will tell you that, and I will share that story with you. But anyway, back years ago, I went to school at General Motors, and for a two-day class, I always talk about Dick Hip, Mr. Hiccup Hip up in Terrytown, New York. And I took a computer command control class, and then the, you know, after that, a throttle body injection class. And that's the first time that I was introduced to being able to read data with a scan tool. I was a young guy all right prior to that what kind of data were you able to read on an engine well you were able to put a vacuum gauge on it you were able to put a timing light on it nobody had an air fuel meter you had attack and dwell right you had attack you could just a carburetor would attack and uh i had a, a beautiful sears uh engine analyzer which my friend gene still has and i still have mine but uh but other than that you really yeah you really couldn't you really couldn't tell what was going on and then i started to go to to these schools and i went to school at sun electric then i learned how to read an oscilloscope and look at an ignition pattern but the average guy is not going to have that all right and uh and so we started to get data and the thing basically is is that lots of times we got the data we didn't know what it meant so so i remember being in mr hip's class and he had a scanner i forgot what kind of scanner it was and it only looked at one thing at a time so you could look at engine rpm you could oxygen sensor voltage excuse me you could look at map sensor whatever whatever thing but you look at one thing at a time so you're basically looking at one data point like going into a dairy barn so this is how much milk this cow made today but maybe you have 100 cows all right, maybe she was so so yeah, it's good, it's good information, but you don't live and bu- die by it. And then what had happened was that anybody who went to a school like that or who was who was alive at that I shouldn't say alive was involved in the industry that this was like looking at Chinese. All right, so oxygen sensor voltage, you pop pick on that 0.78 and it's jumping around. What the heck? I don't know what the heck that means, right? So the thing is that I wanted to, I went on a quest To be able to understand that data for engine management systems. And now, if you take a person who is a high yield farmer and he's gonna read his soil test, he's gonna read his tissue analysis, when he first gets that or she first gets that, all right, they don't know what the heck they're looking at. All right, a bunch of numbers yeah they could read okay uh, there's this much nitrogen from per million There's this much sulfate so what does that mean to you You don't know what that means to you all right so you have to learn to study those numbers and you have to learn to analyze it and then make sense of it and then and then move to the next step so what happened was that i then got a job with allen test products the oscilloscope emission, emissions analyzer company they were come they came out with the smart scope and then the smart engine analyzer and i thought i died and went to heaven because i'd be able to plug into a general motors car of course they were the only ones that had serial data at the time i was able to plug in underneath the dashboard and uh and see a whole data stream up on one screen so at the same time i could see engine rpm oxygen sensor voltage torque converter clutch ignition timing if that was available what have you, you could see all of this knock sensor all, and depending upon the actual vehicle and the ecu they had i could see all this at one time so now instead of looking like general motors originally how were you looking at one thing at a time you're able to see a whole total picture so we got i got a lot more data a lot more data points all right and now i was able to be able to take these data points and put them and and make some sense of them or bring some value to them because you could look at you could look at things but in the beginning you don't know what you're looking at your eye is focusing just on one thing and you say well what about this what about that so this is a learning curve it's a learning experience and i'm repeating again is that i'm using this experience as an example all right so it could be, it could be your, your, your uh, satellite imaging on your cornfield. It could be your, uh, your data from your dairy cows or your genetics from your beef herd. Or so All right, so it's all data. That's what we're talking about today. So then what happened was that they came out, Allen Test Products came out with a new product. And what it was was a data recorder. I remember them showing it to me. They said, This is fantastic. So it looked like something from Get Smart. <laughs> this was in the early, in the mid 80s. <clears throat> and it was in a big brown box, like a suit, like a, a attache case. And you opened it up, it was in there, it was mounted in there. And there was a cord. You had plugged it into the cigarette lighter. And then you plugged it into the ALDL connect. That's the uh, assembly. It, ALDL stood for assembly line diagnostic link. And then, uh, uh, so you plugged in there and then you would to start the start the car and you could drive and it could and it had like a cassette it looked like it was like a cassette recorder but what ha- but i don't remember i was trying to before i started to record there I was trying to strain my memory i think it was a special type of cassette tape it resembled a it resembled a, yeah i think it was i think it was a data tape or something so it looked just like a cassette tape but the material the tape material was not like you would be go listen have music on it because we used to use those in the epa machines to record the data for the state of new jersey so anyway so it was it was like a cassette tape and then they had a button on there so uh you could if, the, if you had it plugged and you had it turned on, it was like in a in like a standby position. And the whole theory was that if you had it in a standby position and the car started to act up, you'd press the button and start to record the data. So I remember I had a Buick Skyhawk, a new Skyhawk at the time, great little car. And uh, so I took the data recorder, I plugged it into my Skyhawk and I started it up and you can't see anything, it's just recording on this cassette tape. And then I went for a ride up up the road there, the road onto Route 46 and turned around and I came back. I said, okay, I said to my boss Mike, now I'm gonna take it and plug it into the smart the Allen smart engine analyzer smart scope so I could read all this data and you were able to do that, recorded the data and you could play it back into a scan tool. Right. So now what I recognized was that how burdensome and how long or how many how much sampling was given the sample rate was given for me to just start the car and drive out of the parking lot so i'm saying to myself i'm looking at the vehicle space i'm not moving yet and because it had such a quick quick sample right boom boom as quick as the ecu would be back then all right so quick, quick sample right so now i had all of this data and then by looking at the vehicle speed and the throttle angle i just didn't even get out of the parking lot yet so now I'm looking at this <clears throat> and because of the sample rate was so quick in relative terms, by today it would be like an like like an abacus. Uh, it's that you had to sit and watch it for five minutes to get out of the parking lot because it kept looking at it boom, 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 boom. So now it couldn't play that back. So it would sample at a, at a very fast rate again i'm repeating for then but it would play it back at a slow rate. otherwise it'd be like a full blurb it would be like you know fast forwarding a movie so fast you can't see what the hell's going what's going on so <clears throat> i quickly learned well in about three minutes that this very quick this very quick sample rate was a plus and a minus because it didn't allow me to see the big picture of anything because it took so long for you to to, to watch this. And let's—I don't remember what the time was, but let's say it took ten minutes to go for a ride to out, get out onto Route Forty Six, which have, would, would have taken me one minute to, uh, or two minutes or whatever. So, so that actually became very confusing because what it, 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 you, it was too much data. Too, it was too quick. It was too much. Too much, too much sample rights and to play that sample right at a, at back at a at a speed that you could see it on the screen and get some some use out of it, some intrinsic value, is it had to be slowed down. So if that makes sense to you. And then uh, I know I do have one of my listeners out in Iowa, and probably more of you do this, is that uh, <clears throat> Joel. And he said he listens to my podcast at 1.25, one and a quarter speed. So I didn't know you could do that. But it must be. So he speeds me up because my shows are too long and I can understand that. So I don't know whether I sound like a chipmunk or blah, 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 blah on there, what have you. But anyway, so now I learned that all right and then what happened was that fast forward i'm giving you this chronology is that uh i bought a tech one scanner from general motors and you were able to uh to record stuff but you couldn't record two things at a time so and then eventually moving forward i got involved with the uh the pro 50 mustang race car that we used to run i told you about that many times and we put a data that was when data acquisition was just coming into race cars so we put, you know, and we invested in it because it's the oh man, look at this! You, could, you know, it was the typical. We got, we sold ourselves. Well, you could look at this. You could look at suspension lift. You could look at squat. You could look at drive shaft speed. You could look at input speed. And in you could look at this. You look at all those things. Oh, this is fantastic! We're gonna take this. <clears throat> that car was like a eight twenty car meaning it ran it around like eight 8.2 seconds in the quarter mile around 160 miles an hour all right and uh so you know we had the like, man once we get all this stuff we're gonna tune this thing blah, blah. well we got all this stuff right we put it on there we had no clue what it meant right i had no clue what it meant with how much front end lift i had no clue how much squat I understand those terms i understand weight transfer i understand moment of inertia of the drive shaft. but the metrics that it was read in i had no idea what it meant and you're doing an eight second run and this thing is taking a sample right bang 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 you're getting <coughs> what if i don't remember what it was a thousand samples you have no idea what what you're looking at It's uh, well what's the car doing now oh geez we're going 100 <coughs> 160 miles an hour so it must have been we must have been through the trap so he had no idea what was going on with it because it was way too much i him just take a drink. <clears throat> Excuse me. So and then my friend Bobby Ida got involved with the they got involved with him with the frightening the salt flats truck, and we put we made the same mistake. We put a data acquisition system on there. And In the beginning you're just totally overwhelmed you have no idea what that data means all right so to my point in the beginning too much data is not good all right too quick a sample rate is not good all right and people make that mistake in business and uh you have to look at of the big picture in business, and anybody who's in business that's listening, I don't care whether you're a farmer, whether you're whether you're an attorney, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a truck driver, have a or have a trucking company right so if you look at things in life at a very quick sample right boom 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 oh my god i'm you know i i i, I i've already been you know 15 minutes i didn't, didn't make any money yet you know or what have you right? right there'll be akin to like a farmer going in the field and say well geez you know i planted that corn two hours ago why isn't it coming up what's going on here oh my god oh my god right uh i'm gonna have a crop failure <clears throat> so do not fall prey into having too fast a sample rate and having too much data. Well, whatever it may be, it may be a satellite view of your crop. It may be, uh, I did a show last year at that Augmenta system that reads the, that, has, that uses cameras to look at the, the color of the crop to tell its nutrition content. All right, so the thing basically is, is that whatever it may be, so the thing is that you have to always have a sample rate. So if you're looking to, to look at any data, and I don't care what it is, your yield monitor and your combine, which is quite simplistic, but you have to look at data and you have to say, okay, what sample rate do I want to look at? All right? Because I, you don't want to have a sample rate that's, uh, and 10 minutes later looks at it again. Well, you may want to do that if you're using something, as and if you're photographing or taking a plant growth, all right so with time elapsed photos if you have time elapsed photos of a plant a plant growing let's say a corn plant you don't want to look at it every every minute you may want to look at it every four or five hours right <clears throat> or every once a day depending upon what stage it's in so the first thing is that do not be fooled into investing in something that has you, you need to be able to have control your sample rate all right, and I'll leave it at that because there's all different things that, that that ways that you're looking at all different data, but you want to have the flexibility to look at a sample to have a sample rate that's going to bring some intrinsic value to you. Okay, the next thing from this is from you know the world according to the hot rod farmer. You could tell me forget about it, hot rod. You know what you're talking about. The next thing is that you need to become familiar with what you are sampling because i don't care who you are how smart you are you have a phd if you if i'm showing you data that you never saw before in your life then you have no idea what you're looking at that doesn't mean you cannot learn what you to, to interpret it but you have no idea what you're looking at all right so the thing is that so you have to you have to understand what is being measured the metric i spoke about that using that term before on the show the, the metric and then you have to understand the correlation of that metric that that data and how it affects your goal and or your what you what you're trying to determine so basically in essence let's go back to the mustang drag race car right so if I'm trying to determine whether, uh, whether my air-fuel ratio is correct, Then my drive shaft speed is not going to give me anything of any value as far as air fuel ratio is concerned. You have to define your goal. What are you trying to determine? What you're trying to look at? Because so, and then once you determine that, you have to work with your data acquisition, just like I was making the reference in the beginning to Apple telling me I'm the number three how to show in what country was it? I don't know. Number six, excuse me, Canada. Am I? Who knows? I mean, I don't know. It makes no difference to me whether I am or not. All right. But the thing is that, so you have to determine what you are trying to, to accomplish with this data. So if I'm going to go into the field and I want to side dress my potentially side dress my sweet corn, then I'm going to do a tissue analysis, right? Look at that data. Do I have enough nitrogen in the corn or maybe I need boron, right? And then I'm going to look at a soil sample and see what's available all right plant plant nutrient availability and then put that together and then decide on that a prescription for whether i'm going to side dress maybe i don't need any more nitrogen maybe i just need boron who knows all right so the thing basically is so in essence you're looking at data on your engine and your combine and your tractor all right on your field sprayer whatever it may be on your semi going down the road you have to determine what, how to, you have to be able to interpret that data in a way that it is being represented to you. So, for instance, in engineering, they use the metric system a lot, kilopascals and everything. So, if you look at vacuum or pressure in kilopascals, and your mind thinks in pounds per square inches, pounds, not inches, pounds per square inch, or inches of mercury or what have you, or inches of water on a manometer right or and then the thing is that you have to convert that in your mind or you have to get to used to thinking that way otherwise this data is completely useless to you all right so we have that and then the next thing what you need to do is you need to be able to in most instances take that data and aggregate it and the term aggregate when you're talking about data would be put it all together for our purposes put it all together so basically in essence i'm probably a perfect analogy is a a yield monitor in a combine and i always go to corn because i'm a corn farmer right so if you say, so you could, so if you look at the yield monitor, which is basically in essence like a fuel economy monitor in a car, look, I'm getting 90 miles per gallon right now, but three feet from now I'm getting zero because I'm going up a hill. So the thing basically is, is that you could look at the yield monitor and say, well, right now, when the, where the header is processing the corn, it's bringing into the feeder house corn at 400 bushels per acre. All right, but so that's right there. That particular point is 400 bushels per acre. But, you're, but if you take all of that data and aggregate it and put it together, all right, you may say my complete field average is 250 bushels per acre because you had sections that had 400 bushels per acre, you had sections that had 50 bushels per acre, so it all comes up all right, and comes up with that average. Now, the thing what you want to do also is you want to... and. Like I guess this is application specific to what you're doing, but I'm going to give you a bunch of examples, and you could take from it what you want. But you need to get the most. Some, one of the cats, I'm yelling outside. you are going to have to just stay. But anyway, what you're going to have to do is get is uh, is is modify what I'm saying to you. For your own cause. And you may modify it one way for your combine monitor. You may modify it another way for your tractor pulling tractor. You may monitor it another way for your sprayer. Sort of thing is that it's not a one size fits all model. All right, but the thought process of understanding what I established is very, very important, and is and is fundamental to making this making the data of value because data you know, they used to say years ago, early computers, garbage in, garbage out. You know, well, I'm going to modify that and say if you don't know what the data says, all right, or what it means, or well, you're looking at it so quickly, so high, so high a sample rate that it becomes skewed and becomes meaningless, to it, then it, then it's wasted. Other than Paula tricks that shows them, look what my new combine could do. Could tell me all of this? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I don't know. Right? Look at that. Isn't that cool? And so the thing is that what you want to do is lots of times plot your data, and we do this. Uh, in the engine community as far as a dyno result is concerned and we talk about area under the curve if you have raw data numbers 400 horsepower 500 horsepower blah, 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 blah. all right and just print it out if you can't have a a graph and graph that data then the thing is that uh, that you want to have the largest area under the curve and you know and going back to you know with agriculture they'll say well and which makes sense well what you want to basically do and this kind of even alludes to what i spoke a week or two ago about cylinder cylinder combustion variability you don't want to weaken the strong cylinders you want to you want to strengthen the weak cylinders so they're all pulling and putting out the same so basically in essence what you want to do is let's say going back to that cornfield you want to say well here's 400 bushels per acre this is 200 bushels per acre I want to try i don't want to bring the 400 down to 200 i want to try to bring the 200 as close to 400 which is the best spots in my field and then come with this with with this aggregated value this this complete field average and in an engine dyno that's what we end up doing is you we graph the pull on the dynamometer uh so the horsepower and torque and then we graph it so you wanna see that you have on most applications you wanna have the most area under the curve. If it's a drag race engine you're not really concerned with area under the curve because a drag race engine is only gonna operate within fifteen hundred rpm. So, from peak horsepower to peak peak torque to peak horsepower, and then fall back down to peak torque. So, your area under the curve now becomes between, let's say, 7,500 and 9,000 RPM. That's where you wanna, then that car is gonna go the quickest down the the track. If you're a tractor pull guy, it's gonna be different. If you have a semi and you're hauling 80,000 pounds down the highway, then you want this area under the curve to be very, very broad. In the in the RPM range and the load that that engine runs most of the time, so if you use that data and do that, now that data has a value. So all you could basically say at this particular point that this engine is a very very flat, very broad torque curve, or whatever it may be. Uh, I'm just using an engine for example. This field we got the average up, so it's important for you to understand that, and then. It's important important for you to, to identify and define your goals. So and this has like I said it could it could be a crop, it could be an engine, it could be whatever it may be. So you need to look at this data and you need to be able to to in most instances graph it for you to for it to have any meaning to you. Now another thing that comes into play, is that you have to not only look at the rate that the data is looking at, all right, is being sampled at, and the rate it's being showed to you, but keep in mind, <clears throat> and everybody is PC crazy today, smartphone crazy, oh, I could, you know, bought this, I got an app, I could put it in my smartphone, I could tell how far Mars is from me right now, I'm making that up, I don't know, there probably is an app for that. But keep in mind that a digital circuit a digital circuit. Of course, there's two types of circuit for all intents and purposes. There's digital and analog. Digital is on and off. An analog as a varying voltage we'll leave it at that is that when i learned oscilloscopes they were analog oscilloscopes they responded immediately to what was being seen so just like for instance let's say a very analog response would be you put your hand out and i take a pit and i stick it oh and you, and, you, and you scream and you move your hand away that's an analog response a digital response would be that i that I somehow, which is impossible, but uh, maybe not chemically impossible, but I stick the pin in, and then you have a very slow response because it took a long time, and I'm talking like this way purposely, for the pain to go from your finger for your brain and you to process it and pull your hand away. So so it's a very delayed very numbed n-u-m-b not dumb numbed response and the thing is that if you look at a lot of these digital and usually the cheaper less expensive digital meters all right digital scopes digital anything like that has a very slow response because the response time is cost money and if you're coming in with a cheap part or or cheap instrument i should say not part is that it's gonna read the peak and it's gonna read it but it's not gonna read it very quickly and in some instances that's a thousand percent fine so i know that in my my uh whatever you call christmas buying guide uh last year or the year before i spoke about this little oscilloscope uh i think was called uh you scan or you scope or something it's a great little scope i know a lot <clears throat> i know uh, at least a couple of my listeners have bought it everybody can reach out to me all right and i recommend it I Thought it's a great scope but you have to look at what are you using that data for you're using that data to be able to look for a problem in a sensor in a circuit so you're looking for instance like a, i'm going to make an analogous to a flat tire right the tire is flat you fill it up with air you put it in a tank look look there's where the bubbles are coming from that's where the leak is so you're looking for a failed sensor you're looking for a failed input you're not looking to design something with that you're looking for to find the, metaphorically the leak in the tire so that's why i recommend that scope that scope is great for that stuff like that these 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 apps are great for that oh no look at this a square wave is not square it's 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 so looks like a mountain here all right so that that is great but keep in mind that it that every once in a while it could bite you all right so just like i said when i was looking at the scanner and i had the data recorder i didn't even get out of the parking lot yet and what this digital electronics has in lots of instances is it has a dampening factor in it and and uh, believe it or not, most temperature gauges today in cars, trucks, farm equipment are dampened and because you don't where well, years ago if if you had a truly mechanical or analog gauge all right it didn't have to be mechanical it could have been analog it could have been electrical would extending with analog you'd say geez if the coolant went up if you sat in traffic and went up 10 degrees you'd see well the needle is going a little bit more to the right maybe you weren't identified 10 degrees but you could see it's getting hotter so you saw a trend with a damn all of these temperature gauges today Well, i should say uh, everyone that i've come across are dampened you could sit in traffic you could be going into you could be running your combine then you could be going into uh into uh into 500 bushel corn and you're working it unless it had a digital display that's going to show it that the gauge doesn't move and people look at this thing i go up the hill with this i pull this trailer This the temperature doesn't move the thing is fantastic right the temperature is moving buddy but it's not showing it to you because it's dampened so it's like me sticking a pin in somebody that's all doped up and they're not even responding to it all right so it's dampened so it's important for you to understand that if you're going to invest in some sort of data acquisition if your combine has data acquisition on it your your uh you have satellite imagery, you have anything that's giving you data, all right, that you have to ask the company and you have to find out whether it's dampened. So, because you could have a very quick sample rate, but it could also dampen that sample rate. Probably one of the best, I should say, an example that comes to mind goes back to my Briggs and Stratton generator and then James Condon with the, the YouTube guy that fixed it for me. And and I've spoken about this, and I I invested in a, a meter to to read total harmonic distortion on the AC signal. All right, and then James had a little cheap Chinese digital oscilloscope. It looks very nice. All right, the two hundred dollar, one hundred fifty dollar. It says some kind of Chinese name, or Yang or the electric company. But anyway, so what happened? And when I was talking to James, I picked up my. uh generator and we were talking about total harmonic distortion and <clears throat> he showed me the scope and he's much smarter than i am all right but i may have some different ex- experiences than he has so i'm not so i'm saying i don't know I, I don't know if i like that scope i said because you know that's probably really dampened and then i said what well, i was. and he did it and i'm not going to take any credit for it i said i'm going to leave you my total my thd meter all right and I'm gonna leave you my THD meter. <clears throat> and as a consumer, that's why I asked you to reach out to me. As a consumer of your videos, I'm really concerned with THD. So I would like to, to for you to have your scope hooked up, your digital scope hooked up, and my THD meter at the same time. And then show the scope pattern and show the THD. So now when I if you look at if you look at a AC sine wave, you using that for example, right? Uh, this happens to be from line voltage or generator, but let's say it's an AC sine wave on a sensor output, and you have a dampened result, a dampened reading, because the scope is dampening it, it's going to look smoother than it actually is. It's not going to show everything it because it's going to like filter that out, right? So, I said to him, James, that the, the scope patterns that you're showing and you're showing me, I don't think the THD is that bad because when 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 THD skews, it goes all over the map. I mean, it could go all over the map. It's very jagged. It looks like the Rocky Mountains, like like Grand Tetons. I said, and when it gets near the zero crossing, it'll bounce back and forth. I, I said, on a real scope, all right? I said, I never see that. On on the on a digital scope or a digital scope for two hundred dollars, maybe a twenty thousand dollar one is 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 going to show that because it's going to not be dampened like that. So I said, what I'd like you to do is look at the scope, have your scope hooked up, and have my THD meter hooked up at the same time, and let's learn to be able to say, well, hey. Because if I only look at I look at the one spot in the field, 400 bushels, man, I'm a great farmer, right? You know, I'm an engine builder. I got 900 horsepower here. You got 900 horsepower at that one RPM. The rest of the time, has got 300 horsepower, right? So the thing is that, and then look at that. I said, because those scope patterns don't look that bad to me. And then what I've seen is in his videos, he's doing that, all right, i'm not going to take credit for it he's using my meter and by looking at this so he had a uh, generac my famous generac i'll tell you about that one day right but uh i'll up you the update you on that one day is that it had 17 percent thd but the scope pattern didn't look that terrible i would have said that's probably so in essence is the scope bad no all right but you need to be able to compare it to something so if you use the thd meter and you use the scope then you will teach yourself in this in with this data acquisition you will teach yourself that i know that a pattern that looks looks pretty good is is probably around 10 or 12 percent thd but this scope is not showing it that to be because it's dampened if you were to use a true oscilloscope uh, analog oscilloscope, you would see all of the jiggers and jerk marks and everything in that scope pattern that the dampened scope is not going to show you. So now the thing is that so somebody's probably going, oh my God, you you told me to buy this, I sue you. No, 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 because you're looking for a failure you're looking for a problem so if you have a bad diode in something and you're looking with that with the with that scope that is going to show it because that's like the tire that is flat all right so if you have three tires that are pumped up there and one tire is flat you walk to the vehicle to the farm tractor and sitting over to the side you don't need a scope you don't need a tire pressure gauge The you there's no air in it all right so the thing is that so do not confuse diagnostics with engineering and design but also keep in the back of your mind that there are sometimes in the more of this you do it's going to kick you it's going to bite you sometimes that there is an instance where you cannot catch what is going on with a digital piece of equipment or something that's going through a they call it a pico scope through a or through a uh through what do you call it, the laptop computer or if you have a data acquisition on your combine or, or whatever it may be like i said this is broad based is that if you have too much of a sample right and you compress that sample right so quickly you've now aggregated that data and if everything is good everything is fine you say well i so the the guy with the combine he's going through with let's say a six row corn head and his combine is reading 500 bushels per acre right there but that one that one row because it's it's aggregating six rows it's not taking one row maybe that one row is 800 bushels per acre all right so you can't go crazy with this you have to look at the big picture But the thing basically, the take home message here is number one is that if you cannot analyze If you do not understand the data that is being given to you from anything, then it's totally useless to you, and all it is is a bragging thing to go to the court, look at the data I got on my new new pickup, it tells me everything, right? The thing basically, it's totally useless to you. So the thing is that no matter whether you're looking at a soil sample where you're using like a Veris and going through the field and taking soil data every couple of feet or what have you, right you have to understand what you are reading and what it means to you for your intended goal all right so that's the first thing the next thing what you need to do is if you're going to be looking at data you have to recognize its sample rate and it's viewing rate. I'm using I'm using the term viewing rate because, like I said with the data recorder, it was sampling so quickly, but I had to sit there and watch it for five minutes. And if I didn't look at... I thought I was on Route 46. If I didn't look at the vehicle speed uh, input from the vehicle speed center and say, I'm going three miles now, I'm still in the parking lot, and then recognize that the sample rate in that particular instance is much quicker than the display rate that's being displayed to you. All right. So and the, the other the other aspect basically is that data is very good. It's wonderful. It's excellent. And given the right thought process, the right mindset, it is a wealth of information that we can that we did not have before but you have to be able to sift through that information. You have to be able to to analyze it, right? Data analyst, I said that that tongue-in-cheek before, but you have to be able to sift through it, analyze it, and bring some value to you. So, the thing is that if I'm looking at the gas mileage on my display, on my Fiesta, and I'm going down a hill, and it's a four mile hill on Route 80, and I have the throttle released, and it says 99, 110 miles per gallon, I can't come back and break. I get 110 miles per gallon with this car. Well, you got 110 miles per gallon under that situation. But then going up the next hill, I got 30 miles per gallon, right? So, the thing that, and and also, as an aside to this is that if you look at most vehicles and even farm tractors and everything that they have it they they give you fuel consumption right and usually a piece of farm equipment will say gallons per hour or liters per hour or what have you it's not going to say miles per gallon or kilometers per hundred uh, per, per, uh, per liter or whatever they do the thing is that for that data to be to, to be accurate and you're say hey you're full of a hot right that thing ain't accurate man it hasn't changed for three years right you have to basically go and reset that every time you have to zero it out so you have to reset it every time that you fill up with ga- fuel gasoline whatever diesel whatever it may be reset it and then you also need to know the size of your tank And you need to learn and teach yourself this. You don't have to take a notebook out. I'm not saying you say, okay, for instance, I'll use my Fiesta Freeze example. So I know when the low fuel light comes on, it's a 12 point, it's a 12.8 gallon fuel tank. I'm gonna take a drink here, just bear with me one second. i'm very conscious that it's by seeing these people on the youtube they're drinking and doing everything and blowing their nose while they're recording but i don't think that that's professional i don't want to do that so anyway so i know i have a 12.8 gallon fuel tank that's what the manual says all right and i know that when the low fuel light comes on i have approximately 2.5 to 3 gallons of gas left in the tank and I know at this particular point, if I take that, I I could come to the pump and know that this will probably take 9.2, 9.6, depending upon how quickly I stop, all right? If the low fuel light comes on and I'm, there's a gas station right there, and I pull well, that's going to be different than me riding 30 miles to the next gas station, all right? But I have this data, so I know if, the, if I'm in, out in Nebraska and it says on the low fuel light comes on, And I say, okay, it says next town is 50 miles, all right? And I say, well, when a low fuel light comes on, I have approximately three gallons left or a little bit less, and I'm getting 40 miles per gallon, so I could go 120 miles, so I could ride the next 50 miles not staring at the gauge, white-knuckled, sweating. Am I going to run out of gas in the panhandle, the sandhills of Nebraska? So that's using data to your advantage. But I also, and I'm not i'm not what i'm saying to you is i'm telling you what i did as an example not bragging but i know i have a lot of other data points i know the size of the fuel tank i know how much fuel economy i'm getting right so even though so but for your gas your fuel your fuel consumption whether it's a farm tractor or anything that needs to be reset with every it needs to be zeroed out with every fill up every time you put put fuel in that that piece of equipment because otherwise it's going to take a rolling average so since the last time you said it like my wife's escape she doesn't know how to reset the thing it's got the button it's uh, whatever i mean it's not bad but she never and and, but she, she never she never got involved with it so her gas mileage is all skewed because she's got like three thousand miles worth of average, so now you could basically and say, well, over <clears throat> now is that is that truly bad? No, it's not truly bad. All right, it's not bad at all. If you want to say, well, over three thousand miles, I average thirty point two miles per gallon. All types of weather, all types of driving. So you aggregated it, all right, and you said well, that may be of value. So if you're running a fleet of vehicles, and you say I'm not interested to give fuel economy thing I got today, I'm not interested. I want to know over 10,000 miles what this semi uses. I want to know over 10,000 hours what this combine uses. Then you aggregate that and put that all together, and that's valuable data but i like to use using that for an example i like to reset hers every time so i could look at the fuel economy every cause she buys gas once a week she does about 100 miles a day buys gas once a week or a little bit le- little maybe, maybe just she could if things are good meaning that good driving that caught in traffic she could go just about a week without buying gas all right, five days, a, a business week, a school week. All right, so I like to look at that because I want to say, well, geez, you got 34 miles per gallon today, this week. All right, next week, you got 32. All right, next week, you got 33. Next week, you got 35. Then in my mind, I take that data. And I say, okay, there's nothing wrong. Now, all of a sudden, she's getting 27, 28, 26, 29, 30. Then that's a flag for me, so I'm using that data to be able to say well geez why and i said well honey he said, oh the traffic was terrible it took me three and a half hours to come home blah, blah, blah. I said, no traffic has been great then i know that i have a problem somewhere in that vehicle so you're using data for that and getting back to like the drag race car we didn't understand all right with the mustang we understood lift, we understood moment of inertia, we understood squat, we understood to, st- I mean, to our level, all right, we understood shocking the tire, but now we had to look at it and say, yes, I have the tactile, the feel of touch, or the visual, the empirical, how much the front of the car lifts when it leaves, well, this thing used to go up on a bumper without the wheelie bars, all right, but the thing is that then we were able to take that data and say, okay, i forgot how it read travel all right and say okay how much travel am i overextending the shock here am i am i not putting enough on the back so in other words data is wonderful but you if you think that you're going to make a decision on anything of consequence with one data point or one thing and not taking that data and extrapolating it out and putting it into an area underneath the curve and putting it with other data points for instance uh that you're looking at the field looking at the yield of the field then that data is useless to you so as i get ready to close once again a long show and ran you around the block a million times is that data is wonderful (coughs) data is wonderful be concerned with your sample rate, be concerned with your display rate, be concerned with what you're trying to accomplish with the data. And if you think that and and you know it's just like cell phones. People have cell phones, some people are wonderful with them, and some people are, are smartphones, some people are not, and I'm go under the not category, right? But the thing <clears throat> the thing basically is, is that you know you just spent seven hundred thousand dollars for a new combine you bought a new sprayer you have a new tractor you're putting you're upfitting some older equipment with some with some data acquisition whatever that may be all right whatever that data acquisition may be you are you bought a scanner for for to read an engine the engine management system a big thing again you know, is this right to repair, all right, in agriculture, because now there's a, 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 mem- a, mem- a memorandum of intent, all right, that was signed with the National Farm, uh, whatever it's called, uh, uh, Farm Bureau from Case IH to give some data. And that's always been my point all along, because I lived it, and I'm gonna close as I opened. I spoke about the being in the class with Mr. Hip up in Terrytown, New York. Him having a scanner showing here his map sensor his oxygen sensor wow that's wonderful what the heck does it mean and that's what this hope my whole thing with this right to repair well we're going to give you access to something to a certain level but we're not going to tell you what it is because that's a whole education john deere fent uh case ih they're not obligated they have no onus to teach you what a sine wave looks like coming out a, of or a, or a zero crossing on a combine header sensor is supposed to look like or they're not obligated to do that i don't I, I don't expect them to do that so you have to be able to understand that yourself and that's why i keep bringing this up and about this right to repair it's a joke yes it's wonderful I could give it to you. I think the people should have it, but I guarantee you they're gonna do nothing with it. All right, because there's too much education, there's too much knowledge that has to be learned. All right, before fundamental knowledge before that means anything to you. All right, and if and even I and I'm not using myself as a standard. So basically, in essence, so let's say if I look at serial data coming out of a Lexus transmission. And I would say, okay, fine. I could read what it says. I could see what it, but I don't know how that correlates. What should the line pressure be going to one on the one-two shift? What should what should the pressure be going to the torque converter clutch? So I have to yes, I could read the numbers, but how do I interpret those numbers? What do they mean to me? and the thing basically is, is that so for you to be a high-yield farmer, for you to have the most performance from your farm equipment, for you to have the most performance and longevity from your vehicles, if you are going to get some data that you have to do your homework and understand everything I said. Just like a mechanic has six point sockets, they have 12 point sockets. They have an adjustable wrench, right? They don't just go, look, I got one socket, boss, and I do everything with it, right? That's not the case. And anybody who's turned wrenches knows that. So the thing is, I'm gonna close now because I've gone too long again, sorry. But the fact of the matter is, is that data is wonderful if you're willing to make a commitment to understand it by the right data acquisition, whether whatever it may be, or set the calibration correctly on it and be able to take that data, and it's not a one-dimensional thing, to take that data and be able to use that data to influence your decisions as you aggregate it with other data data points that data point may not be on a screen that data point may be empirical it may be anecdotal no that section of the field floods and the soil there is very really damp and the corn doesn't grow as good so you take that because if you just look at those data points on anything alone you are going to get lost it's going to send you down the wrong path Keep in mind that a lot of things are dampened, especially digital data acquisition is usually dampened, all right, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a scope. And the other thing, before I close, I wanted to say this. That's why I do not like auto ranging multimeters. Because if you want to look at something very quickly, if you have an auto ranging multimeter, it's going, to be doing all of this, and then finally settles into the reading because it's changing all the scales and trying to determine what it is. And that's why as a mechanic working in your farm shop, as anything that you're doing, you should also have a, as a supplement, just like I said, you have to have six-point sockets and 12-point sockets, right? As a supplement, a old analog digital voltometer, because in some instances the, the the needle sweep is gonna catch something that a digital meter is not gonna catch. It's not your go-to all the time, but if you wanna confirm something, you say, okay, my, anal, my digital meter is showing this, let me get the analog meter out and see whether the needle, and you'll be surprised how many times that the analog meter will catch, and I'm saying with a with a freaky problem. I mean, if the coil is burned open, it's burned open. If the if the solenoid on the sprayer is open, it's shorted. It's that's fine, but it's a freaky thing. So don't throw away your analog meter, and if you have one, buy it. All right, and keep in mind that these that these oscilloscopes, these apps are all dampened. And if you got the flat tire, there's no air in it, it's gonna show it to you, no problem. If you're trying to diagnose something that, that that's a funky little problem, all right, then the thing basically is is that it most likely is gonna lead you astray and tell you everything is is as we say back east cop aesthetic. it's all good so listen thank you so much for tuning in thank you for listening and as always note that the hot rod farmer's poem for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america have a blessed day and i'll catch you next week bye bye